0: You've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value.
1: Portland's Talk, AM 620, KPOJ.
0: Now I want you to get up right now and go to the window and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore.
1: Welcome back to the second hour of as Hell in America. Jesse Singer filling in for the Klugman. We're talking about UFO Highway. A deep dive into the Underground facilities that you know nothing about, but you pay for, mad as hell in America. Americans, you get all angry about something that Rush Limbaugh said, but yet try to go near a subject like this, and I'll tell you someone uh, who has, which is someone like Anthony, my guest, myself, others, researchers, people who have the guts to take on these kind of subjects, and if you want to get stonewalled on something, try to contact your local local Government official, elected official, and talk to him about what you'd like to know about the underground installations that the black budget is paying for every year. We're talking about billions of dollars of top secret who knows what going on. We've heard about genetic hybridization programs where they're doing who knows what to people and inbreeding and crossbreeding and cloning, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Welcome back to the program, Anthony.
0: You know, before we jump into the second hour, I just want to share something with your audience here. Go for it. If they don't think that this stuff is real, that it's going on, all they need to know is that a Georgetown professor by the name of Philip A. Carver, who's a former top Pentagon, Pentagon specialist uh, who works on the Asian Arms Control Project, uh discovered something which I already knew, by the way, from the conduit that you and I both spoke of. They just re- recently announced that 3,500 miles of magnetically shielded underground tunnels and structures were constructed across China. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the, you you have this 363-page report that just came out. It's causing a stir in Washington, and it even prompted a congressional hearing. So if you don't think these underground facilities are real, if you don't think there's one in Denver International, you don't think there's one in Dulce, you don't think there's one in Nevada or all throughout Southern California, you better think again.
1: Yeah, you better think again. And I think why people don't want to contemplate a lot of this stuff, Anthony, is because there's not a damn thing they can do about it. And that really bothers people. When you find out that you are a sheeple, when you figure out that possibly, unless you're willing to risk the life of yourself and your family and your reputation, that it's a lot easier to go back to the game and think about the softball league. Uh, you know, it works like a charm for the government. So let's get into the interview. You go meet this man with your crony, this ex-cop, and he's, what, hooked up to the machine?
0: Yes, it's actually a polygraphic uh uh, examination setup, you know exactly like you would see, uh, you know, within a police department. Uh, the individual that I worked with was actually he and I actually worked for law enforcement together in the past. So yes, there was a there was a equip, there was equipment there for for polygraph examination.
1: Okay, and did he express to you at the beginning of the interview why? He wanted this information out now, or was he—a lot of people call this deathbed confessionals. Did you get that vibe, or was it just because of of circumstances that this came about? He found the right guy.
0: found the right guy, and after after he had retired from the military, um, he had expected that some type of disclosure would happen by the year 2000. Well, obviously, it didn't happen by the year 2000. He and I were talking in 2010. Um, Disclosure of what? Disclosure of the facility, the nature of the facility, and the fact that we're not the only intelligent species here on the planet.
1: On the planet.
0: On the planet.
1: Important factoid. Okay, so here you are. you got to be nervous. you got to be thinking to yourself, this is the pinnacle point of my uh, crossing the Rubicon to becoming an actual ufologist, possibly one of the more famous ones, researcher-wise. And where do you go with this guy? The sky's the limit. Obviously, you go right to Dulce, or do you let him lead? What happened?
0: I let him lead, actually. Um, I started asking questions about—I want him to tell me about his past. I wanted him to tell me about how he found himself in, in, with the uh, periphery of the Dulce facility. And what emerged is, essentially, is he had been part of a classified medical detachment that was working here in Northern California at a place called McClellan Air Force Base. but guys did uh was it was respond to what they call type x events and these type x events were like um, strange you know crashes that occurred under strange circumstances so let's say the military was testing something uh that was highly classified you know potentially had uh you know reversed alien technology or whatever their job was to report to the scene Make you know on the spot determinations are any of these individuals unfit to return to duty. If they are, they you know issued uh, discharges immediately on the spot. I mean they didn't play around here. Um, so one of those types of events occurred in northern New Mexico. When he found out about it, he had no idea because he was told to report to Edwards Air Force Base. From Edwards to northern New Mexico, he had received briefing documentation. In the documentation, it had, it had stated that there was a classified underground facility there in northern New Mexico at a place called Dulce. He'd never heard of it. When he was reading the briefing documentation, he was told to study it very carefully uh, because of the inhabitants. And he thought that they were referring to American Indians that lived there uh, and worked there. He had no idea that what he was reading uh, was in reference to this gray species that lived there. Incidentally, one of the things that I found through my research and in, in discussion with the colonel and various other individuals that have worked there uh, at Dulcie or lived there in Dulcie, because I know many of them, um, there is no basis for the fact that there is this reptilian aspect there. It has nothing to do with that. It's this gray species that they talk about. Um mm-hmm. If you know anything about those, the Four Corners area in general, there's there's uh, a, a augmented level of mutilations, uh, reported abductions, and Northwest New Mexico itself has a very interesting statistic, which is they have the, per capita they have the highest uh, rate missing women and young boys, um, women between the ages of 18 to 35, boys between the ages of 10 to 15. And that's an interesting statistic, and it comes directly out of that guy that was provided to me by Norio Hayakawa.
1: Wow. Okay. So he. And everybody listening to this program, for the most part, because of science fiction or because they've been indoctrinated on a slow level, um, probably have heard of the term the Grays. That's right. But you have more knowledge about who these beings actually are from this gentleman, correct?
0: That's right. Um it's not as shocking when you think about the information that they're providing with respect to what these things are and where they come from. um if if you if you if you've ever talked to anybody within a uh, theological uh type realm you know anybody who's a uh, you know studied religions or ancient religious texts they'll tell you that everything we know in the in the biblical writings that were you know, canonized after the Council of Nicaea and various other councils got together. Prior to that, there were much more ancient religious writings that talked about some strange stuff. And uh, we just don't know about them today because they've been removed from uh, society. Right. They, they didn't want us to know about it, so they've taken them out. You, know, you have the Nag Hammadi codices, which were discovered in Egypt in the, the late 1940s. The talk of archons. Which uh, the Archons are essentially these people from another planet, but <laughs> they share in all the religious stories that we're familiar with. Like uh, you know, the the, the deluge and whatever, you know, the great plagues and, um So addition to that we also have the uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls which t- which have the gospels of Paris, the book the Book of Giants, uh, you know, the Book of Enoch, you know, and what do these tell us about? Well, they tell us about these fallen angels. They tell us about these uh, these these watchers. Uh, and if you go further back, you know, and you look at the uh, the Akkadian-Canaan form in uh, cylinder seals that came out of uh, modern-day Iraq, which back then was called which was called ancient Samir, they talk about the anunnaki. They talk about these creatures called the igigi that were created by the anunnaki to pretty much project manage humanity, which had also been and uh, you know, changed dramatically genetic, on a genetic level at that time. So to you because of your
1: because of what you were already working on before you met with the colonel, uh some of these revelations regarding the grays didn't seem all that crazy to you. I get it. Um, That's right. Describe what the colonel talked about as far as who these beings were and how they ended up in Dulce, New Mexico.
0: According to the briefing documentation that he read, back in 1938, there was a group for Murak Army Airfield. That was what is today known as Edwards Air Force Base. Um, but back then, it was called Murak. And Murak was essentially um, uh, an, an Army Airfield. There was no Air Force at that time. It was the Army Air Corps. Um, this group was an ad hoc special forces unit that was put together as a ground contingent uh assisting uh these pilots that were searching for the future home of our atomic weapons development program. They were in Nevada, Arizona, sure. California, New Mexico. Um and as you know, pretty much each one of those uh states has some type of connection to Los Alamos, which is where we you know maintain our nuclear uh you know uh, intellectual Indeed. Uh, so, Anyhow, this one group in particular happened upon this reservation, this Archuleta Mesa, uh, northern New Mexico, Dulce, New Mexico. They found this massive cavern, and inside of the cavern, they found evidence of a battle that had occurred between what they thought were ancient, uh, you know, or excuse me, uh, 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 Apache warriors from like the 1800s. So it was an
1: archaeological finding at first, they thought.
0: It was an archaeological finding, and— and fortunately, the person that was in charge of that group had enough presence of mind to say, hey, you know what? Don't touch anything. Let's go ahead and go deeper into these cabins and see what we can find, but don't touch anything. Uh, and he actually put a call out, call out back to uh, uh, Murak uh, where they had somebody from Alamogordo there in New Mexico rendezvous with them. This team came in. And by the time that team got there, what they realized were was they had found more. What did they find? They found these remains of these diminutive-type human-looking-like figures uh, that were left there on this upper level of this cavern. They didn't know how deep it went, but they knew that there was something beyond where they were, uh, you know, towards the entrance. They found that there had been some type of an altercation. There were dead bodies everywhere. There were uh, weapons everywhere. There was uh, Colt revolvers. There were uh, Winchester repeating rifles. Um, so from the period that they were able to pinpoint that this had actually happened, you know, like in the 1860s to 1880s, somewhere in that point, it made sense based on the type of clothing that the dead Apaches uh, were wearing. Um, so they were able to put two and two together. What they found was is that deeper inside of this cavern, there was uh, a contingent of inhabitants that were actually living there. They found technology that they did not recognize. They found corridors that were manufactured of uh, some type of you know, material base that was unrecognizable to them. Something advanced was living in there. And today I know for certain from the families that I know in the Hickory Apache Nation, they've always known about it. But nobody's ever asked them about it.
1: And so the colonel is telling you this. And explaining that these forces, and this is in 1940, Uh, 38, 1938, 1938, and obviously Washington, uh, who who knows who was told about this? Mm -hmm. Uh, We never know because the presidents are usually not in the know. Uh, The War
0: Department. It was the War Department that was immediately notified.
1: And what was their reaction? What was their? As you said, it seems as though when they got further down they realized that there were people or entities mm-hmm. occupying this, let's just call it uh base or structure, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Structure.
1: Uh, did they actually come into contact with the beings?
0: Um, they did. There was actually a violent engagement when they finally got, came into contact with them. Um, it turns out that these beings were actually trying to get them out of there. They didn't want the human presence there. They didn't want those soldiers there. So, uh, they started, like, playing these weird sounds, these terrifying noises that were meant to, you know, scare the heck out of these soldiers and make them want to leave. And, in fact, it was very irritating to the, to the humans, and they did not want to be in there at one point. So they started to leave. But there were two soldiers that took it upon themselves to go deep into the facility, and they triggered uh, an altercation between those entities and the soldiers. Um, At that point, the military came in, took complete control of the place, and within a few years, they were actually working with those entities in collusion to develop these technological exchanges. Yeah,
1: that's what I want to get to next is how we went from this altercation to years of cohabitation and working together on God knows what. Anthony's going to give us a taste of that when we come back. Anthony Sanchez, UFO Highway, Back after the break, alien underground bases, joint efforts with our own government. It gets stranger. We'll be right back. Time to get mad as hell in America. Adam Klugman is on Portland's Progressive Talk, 620 KPOJ. Area 51, Area 51 sits inside the largest government-controlled land parcel in the United States. Just to give you an idea, even though we're talking about Dulce today, Area 51 itself is slightly smaller than the state of Connecticut, the landmass. Three times the size of Rhode Island and more than twice the size of Delaware. Try to f- keep that in your mind. That's just above ground. But we're talking below ground today, and we're talking about Dulce, New Mexico, probably one of the most mysterious places on the planet. And a man who got thrown into the mixture by accident is my guest today, Anthony Sanchez. He wrote a book about it called UFO Highway. I highly recommend you go to Amazon and get this book, uh, or you go to his website, which is, Anthony? Yes. What is your website?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. It is UFOhighway.com.
1: Well, that's easy enough. Yep, uh, if, if this is intriguing to you, if it's not intriguing to you, then you should get your uh, blood pressure checked or uh, go to your doctor immediately. If it is intriguing to you, pick up a copy of this book and read it. And I'm telling you that you're going to be telling your friends at the water cooler, just like I've done in the past or anyone else who approaches this subject, and you will be ridiculed. And that's okay. Because you have to know that's going to happen. People do not want this to be true. So now we're back where we left off. Anthony is at this clandestine meeting with a gentleman who worked at the base, and he has described the history to you. We don't have tons of time left, and there's so much to cover. So here's what I want to do. Take some fragments of that interview. Tell me some things that made your head spin.
0: What made my head spin was the fact that uh they were that this area is so remote to begin with. It's in northern New Mexico. The only people that know anything about this place are the Native Americans that live there on the reservation. What bothers me is that I have since, you know, I've since become friends with many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh I even just recently spoke to a uh chief of police at a neighboring community who was there for 11 years as a Hickorya police officer, they know about this place. They know about this place. And it's just that nobody talks to them about it. They don't want to talk to anybody about it. But if they were to be asked, guess what? They're willing to talk. They're willing to talk. Um, The colonel himself has made friends with some of these families. I'm not going to say whether or not the families I know were his friends because I don't want to put anybody in danger, and I just don't want to allude to that. Um, What you need to know is this. There is such an interesting history behind this whole Dulcie facility. But even to this day, strange things are happening in Dulcie. Just this last year in October, I was driving to Dulcie. I was going to meet with the producer of uh, Jackie Ventura's uh, True TV television show. Sure. Um, but we just couldn't – they were there on a Friday. I was there on the following Monday. It just wasn't going to happen. So we were going to do two independent you know, investigations in Dulcie. They were actually not allowed to film on the reservation. Uh, they showed up on the Friday, the twenty first of October. Uh, they were very, very well. They were treated very well, but they were told, "We're sorry, you just, it's just not going to happen." I don't know what happened. Um,
1: but what about what? Get, get back to the Colonel, Anthony. I'm going to try to steer here. Uh, yeah. We we got to stay on point because there's information we got to. There was a, a confrontation. Now it's 2012. We're saying that this installation is still up and running. What have they been doing down there for the past 50 to 60 years?
0: Uh, a lot of genetic experimentation, a lot of bioweapons development, a lot of, uh, kind of even conventional weapons development. Uh, there are weapons systems there that are plasma-based. Uh, there was even a super soldiers program that was had taken place there. Uh, in the 90s, there was an incident where two super soldiers that were set to be terminated broke loose and killed up to 20 uh, 20 members of a scientific contingent at the scientific auxiliary called TAD3. Um, that whole thing was covered up. Uh, they were being taken to what is known as the Maximum Containment Center, which is the real nightmare hall. Um, there's just been so much going on there. The now. Maximum
1: Containment Center. Yes. Uh, can, can we talk about, uh, did the Colonel discuss the entry point for this place? Because I know through shows like UFO Hunters mm-hmm. and some of the other programs that we both know about, that people have gone down there and they can't mm-hmm. find any evidence of an entry point, a weak spot. Did the colonel talk about that at all?
0: Yeah, because they're looking in the wrong places. Uh, I actually was talking with this uh, po- with two police officers from the Hickory Apache Reservation. Um, one of them is a seven-year veteran. The other one's an 11-year veteran. Uh, the guy who was an 11-year veteran was stationed there one evening and he saw a holographic entrance open and close not only that he saw a teardrop shaped craft emerge from the archuleta mesa circle the area three times hover over his vehicle um the the, the entity within the craft tilted the vehicle, <laughs> tilted the craft down at them and when he realized that there were people there in this truck it took off now here's what's key about this craft i said it was teardrop shape okay. right uh-huh. when when this guy told me this story and it was just this this last year he had no idea who paul benowitz was paul benowitz is a key figure behind the whole Dulcie story yes and paul benowitz's personal handwritten notes that he kept these were actually bought by mel fabregos at a uh, an estate sale. Mel sent those to me, and inside these, and these have never been shown to the public, was a craft that Paul Benowitz said he'd seen there at Dulcie back in the 70s. It was a teardrop-shaped tear uh, tear craft exactly as the police officer described to me. And what was, the, what was even more compelling is that they both independently said it had a fluorescent lavender-type color to it as part of its propulsion system.
1: So basically, what we're trying to put forth here, if I'm getting you correctly, is that joint effort with extraterrestrial beings mm-hmm. with a joint. Are is it owned by them? Is it owned by us? Are, is there an agreement in place? What did the colonel say about the relations involved? The, I'm the getting, relationship. Yeah, okay.
0: the relationship has to do with the exchange of two things: one, natural resources that they require, uh, and their privacy, and two. Um, technological exchanges that are being taken place right there in Los Alamos under the Technology Commercialization Office. Technology comes out of the Dulce facility through the Technological Commercial- Commercialization Office's Office there in Los Alamos, then it makes its way out into the public sector or to, into these uh, publicly uh, uh, aware, uh, uh, publicly known entities within the military-industrial complex. I discovered a company. Well, I didn't discover it. It was told to me by remember this conduit that you and I were talking about earlier. Yes, this individual told me about a company called Hyperion Power and a, a Hyperion Power Energy or something to that effect. Hyperion. Just just pay attention to the word Hyperion. This company is headed up by a very powerful woman. This woman supposedly, and I don't want to you know freak out anybody here. Supposedly is an alien-human hybrid. But here's what's even strange. She was recently knighted by the Queen of England. She was awarded the title Commander of the British Empire in 2010. Why? For her works in the nuclear sector and in the international finance and banking sector. Her offices for her company, Hyperion, are in Denver, Colorado, Los Alamos, Washington, D.C., and England. Me, London, England.
1: Why Denver? What's the deal with Denver and the airport there? Everyone is talking about mm-hmm. this underground facility also within Denver. This this strange mosaic uh, mm-hmm. painting within the airport that is disturbing, mm-hmm. totally ridiculously uh <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Can you explain this?
0: Yes, I can. The symbolism there at Denver International Airport is indicative of the people that are actually in control of the facility, the underground facility. It is called the continuity of government facility. When something cataclysmic occurs, guess where? The president of the United States, the entire executive office, Congress, everybody is going to be shipped to this massive facility in Denver, Colorado, right there, underneath Denver International. Think about the elevation. Think about the isolation. Think about how it's positioned and the specific mountain range in the sits atop. And it it's perfect to withstand what? Who knows? A deluge? Another deluge?
1: It's it's mind-blowing. In fact, uh, I'm getting a message right now that the Queen of England may own some land around Denver.
0: That's a very well-known fact, and it's absolutely right. It's actually been proved. It's... Some people said, oh, it's not real. She doesn't own. No. Believe it or not, the Queen of England actually owns the majority of the planet.
1: So basically, if I'm hearing you right, it, and I know we're getting off track a little bit, but there's so much to cover, is that there's there's an event that's going to take place, and the hierarchy of the elite, uh, and I'm not talking about Barack Obama, uh, the hierarchy of the elite know about it, mm-hmm. are in, are in colludes with extraterrestrial beings that are assisting them for reasons uh, having to do with, like you mentioned, uh, natural
0: resources? One of the things that I found out, Jesse, is that the facilities there in Denver are magnetically shielded. Funny, but the 3,500 plus miles of underground facilities that they just built in China are magnetically shielded. Why would these underground facilities be magnetically shielded? Well, everybody's talking about this this coronal mass ejection event that's supposed to occur, you know, at the end of this year or in the beginning of 2013. If this is true, this would lend credence to the fact while we're seeing so many bankers abandon their positions at like these hedge funds and whatnot, all these other, you know. The, the rich, the elite, are quickly disappearing. They're abandoning ship. The rats are fleeing the ship. And where are they going? They're buying their way into these magnetically shielded underground facilities that are state of the art. There's a video circulating circulating around with respect to the Chinese facilities. Yeah, they're they're storing some of their arsenal down there and whatnot. But the majority of the facilities are pristine, very beautifully designed. Quarters. So for, for for who? For the military? No. No. For the very rich and powerful.
1: And definitely not for you and I.
0: That's right. Or We're not any part of, the... of that Illuminati structure. We're not part of the New World Order. We're not deleted.
1: This is not. This is not just cloak and dagger. This goes beyond it, folks. This is really going on. You can do your own research. Look up underground facilities at Denver Airport. I am blown away by some of this. When we come back, there's a few other revelations that Anthony has for us. But if anything, you're going to have to do some of your own research, my friends. You're going to have to be a doer. You're going to have to get this book, number one. And then you're going to have to do some thinking, some soul searching. Where do you find yourself in the food chain? We'll be right back. This is Mad as Hell in America. Mad as Hell in America with Adam Klugman. Now on Portland's Progressive Talk, 620 KPOJ. You know, when uh, Bill Clinton came into office, he wanted to know the answers to a couple things because he's, he's he's an interesting guy. You know, he just like everyone else, once you get into a seat of power, you want to know some things. John Podesta, one of his cabinet members, talks about this in a book. You can look it up, one of his books. Uh, who, by the way, became a ufology advocate and realized during the Clinton administration, working under. The press that not only were they not able to get information regarding this subject, they were stonewalled on two things. Clinton had sent uh, some of his minions out to find answers to the following What happened to Kennedy and what really happened at Roswell? Stonewalled on both. Not the first president to be stonewalled on the subject of ufology. In fact, told to back off many a president. We can't even recall. Which president has had the need to know in the past maybe 40 years, which is quite disturbing? So, the commander in chief, the people who, the man who speaks for the people, does not have the need to know about what we're talking about today, which is an underground secret facility, one of many in Dulce, New Mexico. My guest today was privy to this information because of a gentleman who worked there. And like I said, to run these places, Anthony Sanchez, welcome back. There mm-hmm. must be thousands of people that they need. What did the colonel say, if anything, about what kind of people work at these places? Talk about compartmentalization a little bit.
0: Compartmentalization, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. And, and, and tell us, uh, you know, how is it? Because the, the, that's what that's what the debunker's saying right now. They're sitting there going thousands of people work at these facilities. It's impossible that they wouldn't speak about it.
0: Tell you something, compartmentalization is a very, very key component to how you keep these places secret. You only work, get to work within a certain group on a need to know basis. Anything outside of your group. You're not going to know what's going on. The other thing, too, is that I was told that hundreds of millions of dollars are flowing to this place. Uh, For instance, back in the 1970s, take uh, take a – a scientific worker, or like a chemist, or a, or a, some type of a person working in this scientific capacity, who in the '70s would have been making thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year. Well, you pay that person two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. You threaten them, and you make sure that they, uh, first of all, have been vetted through a specialized program called conditioning, which is a facet of uh, uh of the MK-2, uh, excuse me, the MK Ultra uh, program that was. Uh, Directly from the CIA, you have to read it. It's it's even over my own head. Documented, how by the way, sind- documented,
1: not not fiction, documented.
0: Yeah, it, it's just how they they condition these people is just frightening. It's psychological in- warfare. It's absolutely,
1: absolutely, and and it's not something that people can fathom because it affects us on an everyday level, but in a different way. And we know that just watching television has a psychological impact on your brain, right, um, and puts you in a certain alpha state or, or something words to that effect. This is, goes far beyond that. So let me ask you this because people – I know what people are wondering. So they want to know from you right now. They're going, okay, there's a bunch of gray aliens. I know what they look like. They're like these uh, big black eye creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And they uh, are tall or short and they are mm-hmm. – uh, they're weird-looking and that sort of thing. And where are they from? What? When did they get here? Uh, what planet are they from? Uh, how, how far advanced are they than us? And, and how, do they know how we got here? Do they know the answers to everything?
0: The greys the, – okay, so one of the interesting discoveries that they made there in Dulcie was what they referred to as the gray archaeological tablets. They found these metal sheets. And on the metal sheets, these are like, you know, I want to say – you know, like three feet by five feet. They're like these massive metallic sheets that have this in, this machine-like incision on them. What was imprinted on these sheets was something that we pretty much recognize. It is very similar to the writing style called cuneiform, Akkadian cuneiform in particular. So they brought in this Dr. Tahama here from Iraq, uh, of all places, uh, who was the world's foremost expert, uh, expert on cuneiform to work with teams that we have already assembled to translate this stuff. And the information that, uh, that we found on these archaeological tablets was the historical records of these graves, the, 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 the creatures that created them, which they refer to as the progenitors, which we pretty much have figured out are the Anunnaki, which Zechariah Sitchin thought, talked about so much, and that what are, what are, which are also the archons, which are described in the Nag Hammadi codices. Um, they claim that humanity at around 250 to 300,000 years ago was genetically altered. They took uh, you know the earliest vestiges of humanity, which were these pretty much primitive hominid creatures, and turned them into us. If you look at the fossil record, Jesse, if you go beyond 250,000 to 300,000 years ago, you just ain't going to find any fossils of modern-looking humans. You're going to find these strange, ape-looking creatures. But you're not going to find anybody that looks like us past 250,000 years ago. Now, why is that so interesting? Well, modern-day academia has pretty much figured out something called the mitochondrial E-theory, which states that, oh, around 250,000 years ago, Modern humans emerged from Africa, upright and highly intelligent, but they can't explain why.
1: Interesting.
0: And that's the information that they found uh, in Dulce. There's a lot. There's a lot more information that they found in Dulcie with respect to who these creatures are, how they were created here. They claim that they They weren't brought here. So they they're they're Earthlings. They're Earthlings. They claim that they were actually created here, uh huh, but using uh, genetic source material that was extraterrestrial from these creatures that they call and which they revere called the progenitors. Again, which we think are the Anunnaki, that and, the ancient Sumerians spoke about a lot.
1: And the Vedic uh, scriptures as well, no? That's right. Okay, That's so, right. so the Anunnaki, uh, if you're a layman, you're sitting there wondering, well, where do these people live? These gods. Right.
0: That's right. So there was a culture that predates even the Egyptians. This is like 8,000 years before, you know, uh, before uh, Christ, this is Christ's time. Uh, right there in modern-day Iraq, uh, this is called the, between the Tigris and Euphrates Rivers, there was a civilization called the Sumerians. They lived in ancient Samaria. Uh, we have found thousands and thousands of uh, cylinder seals, the cuneiform tablets. But the cur- talk- but
1: but get back to the colonel uh, and yep. and we have because we have to break here. Yep, yep. Did he did he tell you the location of the the Anunnaki as far as a, in a a star chart or a, in a galactic uh, sense?
0: Yes, this group had come here from Zeta uh, Reticuli via the Sirius system and ended up on Mars before some cataclysmic event occurred, forcing them to come to Earth.
1: Or possibly some of them, forcing them to go. Maybe underground? That's right. Very interesting. And I know a lot of people are afraid of 2012 for so many reasons. It's starting to take on this spin. It's almost like a little creepy not to fear it anymore. It's this higher degree of consciousness we're going to get. Well, maybe that's just a disinfo campaign. Maybe we really need to fear 2012. We've got one segment left. And I know you need to push some really important stuff coming up, especially this conference. When we come back, Anthony Sanchez, if that didn't wet your whistle to go pick up a copy of UFO Highway, I'm telling you, this is some of the most amazing stuff you're ever going to read. And it's not Luke Skywalker. It's right underneath your feet, and you're paying for it. Jesse Singer, as Hell in America, filling in for the Klugman. We'll be right back with our last segment. Don't go anywhere. Mad as hell in America, now on 620 KPOJ. Stop looking up. Stop looking up for extraterrestrials and start thinking about what's going on on your own planet that you know nothing about. Thank goodness for pioneers like Anthony Sanchez who have taken on detractors, manipulation, threats. Now, look, we don't have a lot of time. What I wanted to do today was establish who you are, what it is that you've uncovered. Tell us quickly where you left it with the colonel. Are you still in contact with him? What's your relationship with him right now?
0: Uh, there is no relationship with the colonel, but the colonel did put me in touch with the person who works at an aerospace uh, firm in Southern California. And that person has been pivotal in providing uh, information, key information. Uh, that correlates with other people that have been killed, and that's what makes it so compelling. If, if the individuals had not died, we would know we wouldn't know how just how serious this information is. And in your so-
1: opinion, and in your opinion, at this point, do you find yourself afraid for your life, afraid for your family? Do you think that you are on a, a list? And who, if you are, do you think is really controlling a place like Dulce?
0: I've already been threatened twice um, by Bill Air Force Base, Office of Special Investigations. At least that's who they say they were. Uh, They broke into my house. They stole the key uh, hard drive with critical research on it. Um, I went to Dulce, New Mexico just, you know, within the last six months. And when I was there, I was the first researcher to find U.S. government property illegally placed within the uh, Archuleta Mesa, Uh, you know, these massive, you know, uh, containers that were, you know, uh, F5 jet engine shipping containers that were covering up some type of ventilation air shaft. Um, two days later, I went completely paralyzed from my left shoulder to the top of my head on the left side. I still oh have to, to paralysis. People who see me, they say that wow, it's alarming the way you look. I'm like, great, thanks. But yeah, it's it's very serious what's happening. Okay. Who do I who do I think is in control? Yeah. Um, there's a a, a a dark element of the military-industrial complex who's working in collusion with these entities there um there's the new world order structure that's in place that is in charge of manufacturing these massive magnetically shielded underground facilities for the government and for the elite but why i don't know yet some people speculate that there's this forthcoming com- coronal uh, mass ejection event or that there's a you know some false okay, flag. okay fair enough
1: fair enough America. we don't expect you to have all the answers but you have an event coming up i have about two minutes left so get to it tell us about the event Tell us how people can learn about it and show up to this thing.
0: Yeah, on J- In June 16th and 17th in Sacramento, California, I'm having an event called the UFO Paranormal Summit. If you go to SACUFOcon.com uh, or go, or just type UFO Paranormal Summit in your favorite search engine, it'll take you directly to the website. And guess what? I have a lot of people from Oregon that are coming to this event. I just spoke to a person who was part of MUFON up there that uh, told me about it. So, A lot of Oregon people are coming to the event in Sacramento.
1: This is going to be a different kind of event. This is something I think is going to change the way people look at ufology from what I can see. From talking to some of your people this week that you're working with, Mm -hmm. I think that you guys are going in a different direction. I'm excited about it, and I call it ufology 2.0. I've been doing that for a while. I think you're a part of it. I think that you've taken on your detractors very well. I, I think your composure has been really amazing, and I know that some of the other hosts, uh, they focus on trying to knock you down, so I take my hats off to you, my hat off to you, for being able to bear with that and still push forward, Anthony. Final thought with you. You got a minute.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think that you're absolutely right. The term ufology 2.0 that you've coined is 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 real. It's meaningful, and it does represent a lot of what people like you and I are doing. We're trying to uncover the truth. We're trying to look past all of this archaic and you know uh, you know real commonplace information that has been set in stone for ufology. We got to get past that. We got to start doing different types of research. We have to start incorporating other people from other fields. uh, You know and, and Work as a team to to get to the bottom of these
1: things. Well, not to mention, if there is an event that's going to happen in 2012 and there are people in the know right on this planet, stop thinking about outer space, people. That's what they want you to do. Oh, it's so far away. It could never take place here. It would be so hard. Einstein, this, that. Did you know that the Nazis are the reason we got to the moon? No, you didn't know that, did you? Some of you do. Look up Project Paperclip when you get a chance. Do your own research. Don't be a nomad little sheep sitting in a Lazy Boy waiting for the next episode of South Park. That's going to get you nowhere fast. Then you're going to sit there and complain. Complacency. That is the killer in this country. We are complacent. Now, we didn't even scratch the surfaces of China. We barely scratched the surface of why these shelters are being built. But I can tell you this much. This conference is going to bring forth some of the best minds in Ufology 2.0. Some of my heroes, my personal heroes. Anthony Sanchez is starting to possibly be added to that list coming up. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, you, Jesse. You're doing a great job, and keep it up, buddy, okay? Thank you. Bye-bye. For the rest of you out there, what, what are you gonna do? You're gonna take this program, digest it, go get a copy of UFO Highway, email me, tell me what you think. You got something to say? Email me, Jesse at madishellinamerica.com. Klugman, back next week. We'll see you then.